I so appreciate the fact that we have just people who God has gifted in so many various and different ways. So, you know, while uh, we have people leading here, we had students leading in our Soul Summit uh, room up there, leading music with them and proud of them for doing that and, and just showing up and doing it. I, I don't know what it is about this time of year. Maybe it's that we bring a live Christmas tree into the house and we turn on the heat for the first time, but I lose my voice. It just, you know, any allergy sufferers in here? Middle Tennessee's great for that, isn't it? It's a beautiful place uh, if you want that. Did you enjoy your digital fast? Did you participate in that? You know, Monday was a great day. It was just good. It was good to get ready and get set for Thanksgiving by turning off some of the noise. I think that's gonna be part of our lives going forward in a regular basis. If you missed that, you've got remedial class. Go back and listen to last week and then find a time to turn off the noise and maybe make it a part of your life. I think that's really important as we get into the Advent season. The Brick family just kind of got, got us ready for that by lighting the first candle. And we're talking about hope today. And we're, when we talk about hope, a lot of times, I think what we do is go to this sentimental feeling that we've been conditioned to believe about hope because of some of the American traditions that we live with, right? If you think about the way that we live and the way that we celebrate Christmas, there's a lot of anticipation towards the day. Uh, you're maybe waiting on a gift. You're excited about things. Uh, maybe you're excited about your favorite food or the family coming over. There's just anticipation for those things that builds up into that. And that's not what we're talking about. We're, we're not talking about kind of the traditional hope that you might feel. And maybe you even feel sentimental about, you know, that first cup of hot chocolate and getting the nativity scene out at your house. We're not talking about that either. When we talk about hope, I think a lot of that is misconstrued for believers by what we see. And we may think of it like a Hallmark movie. How many of you have already started your Hallmark movies? Have you started that? Jack, you have it. Belinda, have you started you have, yeah, you have. I want to show you something. Look on the screen. I'm going to show you how to make a Hallmark movie. <laughs> you just start on the left and pick one. Big city, career-oriented, recently singled, world-weary, with the wrong guy. That's always a good one. And then you move into, that person's a lawyer, a writer, a baker, interior designer, or an early 2000s actor you forgot about. You return to his or her small town at Christmas to inherit something, to enter a folksy contest, that's my favorite, or to stop a corporate closure, save a family business, or to appease their sassy friend or widowed parent, that's a good one. And then you, the magic happens. Hope springs eternal, right there. And you find my favorite, the sensitive guy in plaid. <laughs> or some guy with his dog or the old family. That's not what we're talking about, right? Those are great. Don't you love them? It's great. It, it's good to see that. But that's, again, it's not what we're talking about. When we talk about hope, I hope that I find somebody. Not what we're talking about. We sing a song from time to time around here. I think it's called Jesus Messiah, where we say, all our hope is in you. All our hope is in you. Hope. Hope is in a person. And I want to move you beyond the manger because that's the start of hope for us, isn't it? 
But hope was realized for us with the death, burial, and resurrection of the baby that came in the manger. Because if he's just a cool story, I mean, can I be honest with you? That's like a Hallmark plot. But it's so much more than that. It's not just a cool story. There's a foundation and hope that we have. In fact, you were saved into hope. And so I'm gonna ask you to turn to a scripture you probably wouldn't think about at Christmas. I wouldn't have either until I just decided we couldn't be sentimental this year. We had to live in hope this year. Turn to Romans chapter eight. My goal this morning is to encourage you in real hope and really give you a proper understanding of hope in Christ. If we read Romans 8, you probably think about Romans 8 in terms of verse 28, probably most popular verse, right? For God works all things together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. That's a great verse. But the chapter really is dealing with big themes of bondage to sin and how we escape the bonds of sin and how we have this hope, not that springs eternal as the, as the poet might say about it, but hope is in a person. And the Bible says that we were saved in hope. And I want to read verses 18 through 25 this morning. And as we do that, we're going to have a focus verse, a couple of focus verses. Verse 24 and 25 will be the focus verses this morning. But I want you to see what the apostle's talking about from verse 18 onward. Let's read this. For I consider that the sufferings of the present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Not only that, but we ourselves who had the spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Now in this hope, we were saved, but hope that is seen is not hope because who hopes for what he sees? Now, if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. To understand that we have been delivered from the bondage of sin is really important because that's actually what frames verse 18. If you read verse 18, it sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? If you're not a believer, listen to it again. I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed in us. That sounds ridiculous. That has to be ridiculous to a person who isn't a Christian. But to a Christian, it makes perfect sense because what it's saying is all of the things that we experience in this life hold no value in comparison to what we're going to experience in eternity when our salvation is realized. And he begins to talk about some of these things that we experience. Verses 19 through 23, he starts talking about the tension. And, and this tension, we mentioned it last week, but we lean into that a little bit more this week. The tension that we feel from creation groaning from all around us. You, you look at this tension and you see it when evil prospers. Doesn't that leave you just shaking your head going, what is going on? Or when justice has been suppressed, you feel it within your bones. Like this isn't right. Something's wrong. And I think that's why we have Psalm 37 and Psalm 73 
They're the two Psalms that are kind of the counterbalance to one another. If you're, if you're feeling that way, you should read those Psalms because this is part of life. Creation is groaning. The earth is groaning, he says. He says that it's in bondage. Not only are we in bondage before we meet Christ, we're in bondage to sin. And what that means for us as believers is that before we met Christ, we were literally on a path to destruction in bondage to our flesh. We like to think that we're in control of our lives, but the truth is we weren't. We were in bondage to our flesh. We were headed towards eternal damnation, separation from God in a real place called hell. And what happens is Jesus sets us free from that. Well, it says the creation is in that same bondage. It's experiencing the groanings. The earth is groanings. Look at how it changes because of mankind. The earth changes because of mankind. Now, I don't know if you believe in global warming or not. I'm not sure if I do either. I know that this is true, though. Pollution's a real thing. Mankind changes things in a real way, doesn't it? But what happens is the earth's not getting better. What's it doing? It's decaying. It's not getting better. It's decaying. We see that before our very eyes. And that's the groanings of the earth. And notice that it says... It's longing to be set free. It wants to be set free from bondage in the same way that we do. And we feel that. We feel it in a re- wanting a release from our bodies. When we think about things like cancers and viruses and flus and pandemics and all those things, we want to be released because don't you feel your body under this bondage, under the decay that it's experiencing? If you haven't, you will. Just get a little bit older. You wake up in the morning and you have to unwind to get out of bed, right? And everything cracks and pops and all that stuff. And you have a trick knee and a bad ankle and I mean, all this kind of, right? You begin to feel that. And why do you feel that? It's because your body is decaying. It's what's happening. It's under, under this bondage. And so we understand it and we feel it and we feel that tension And what do we do with that? How do we deal with that tension? Well, I want us to read verse 23 because it presents a paradox for us when it says, not only that, but we ourselves who have the spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Here's the paradox. As a believer, when you got saved, you got everything of the Holy Spirit that you could get. You don't have to wait for that. That's not the second filling or the second blessing that some people talk about. No, you got it all. You got the Holy Spirit. And over here in the past, did you notice what he said? Let's just look at it again. He says, you were saved. That's that's an important piece of this. We ourselves who have the Spirit as the first fruits, we groan within ourselves waiting for the adoption of our bodies because in hope we were saved. Here's the paradox. Over here, I've been saved and I got the down payment of the Holy Spirit. But I want you to think about something I think we miss. Most of your salvation, right, the the experience of salvation is still out in front of you. You got a part of it here. You were saved. It's yours. The down payment of the Holy Spirit, it's yours. But the payoff of that is in front of you. It's way out here. It's over here in heaven or when Christ comes back or when we pass into heaven through death. That's when all of that's realized. Right now, we have the first fruit. So what begins to happen is this paradox. We have the Holy Spirit living within us. Do you remember what the Corinthian letter says? It says that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. You literally have that as the down payment 
But a down payment, when you made a down payment on a house, was it paid for? Nope. Off out there in the future. Somewhere down the road was the payoff date, right? You got the, the down payment of the Holy Spirit and it's yours, but guess what you still have? The flesh. There's the tension. There's the groaning. Why did I say that? Why do I do that? Why do I always act that way? Why can't I figure this out? Why can't I be better? Why can't I, I just not do that same sin over and over and over again? Well, there's the tension. There's the paradox. The flesh wars against the spirit. And we long for our bodies to be brought into conformity. We long for that tension to be gone. And, and we, we want that to be gone. But God says that there's a purpose for that. That's the groaning that we have as we're eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of this body, where I won't fight the flesh anymore. See, before I was saved, the flesh had control of me, right? Before you were saved, you walked according to the flesh, but then you were saved. There's a moment that you were saved, but it's not all salvation. It's not just for the here and now. It's out here in front of us too. I was sucked into reading a story this week that I get sucked into all the time. I love sports stories. I really love sports stories where like a kid like kind of gets adopted by the team and he's kind of overcome something. And I got sucked into one of those I'd walked back into our bedroom, kind of shut the door, was getting dressed, and I walked into our closet, and I happened to pick up my phone and was just looking really quickly at the weather and everything, and I ran across this story about this kid named Mo who was a super fan of all things Baltimore sports. He loved the Orioles. He loved the Ravens. I mean, just this kind of thing. And he had had cancer, and he beat it, and so I'm, I'm loving it already, right? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sucked right into it. The team adopts him. I mean, they just, everybody's about Mo. It's awesome. It's, it's great. But this one had a twist. Mo had cancer three more times and three different types of cancer in parts of his body. And it ultimately took his life. And I found myself in my closet reading this story by myself crying. Totally sucked into it. I mean, just, just crying. And just thinking to myself, Lord, come on. Come back. Take us home. I'm sick of this. I'm tired of this. I'm, I'm tired of burying people. I'm tired of watching friends suffer. I'm tired of the travails that I face in my life. Lord, would you come back, please? It's the tension. We're groaning for it, right? We, we feel it. We know what that is. And I think that story perfectly illustrates it. You read that and you're moved by it. Why? It's the tension that we're experiencing. How do we live with that then? Let's look at these focus verses. Verse 24, now in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is not hope because who hopes for what he sees? Now if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. When we talk about these verses of being saved in hope, you were saved into hope. You got saved over here, but you were saved into hope for something that's coming down the line. Jesus has all of our hope. It's all resting in him because we know that one day he's going to come back. One day he's going to welcome us into our heavenly home if we pass from death into life before he comes back. We'll have that opportunity, but notice what he says. What you got was hope 
And you weren't saved in the hope that you could see. That's very, very important. You cannot miss that this morning. Because if you do, it leads you down a path that will mess you up. Because a lot of times we think about salvation being for the here and now, and it's for everything right now. We, we miss the fact that it's for out there. It's for a moment in eternity when we'll pass through the judgment because our names were placed in the Lamb's book of life. So hope is out here. And he said we were saved into hope. One theologian said it a little bit like this. The salvation that we got allows us to stand on our tippy toes and look over the fence. And you, you just get a glimpse of it. What we have right now is just the down payment. It, it's this much of what's coming. That's our hope. So when we understand that, if we don't live with hope, with this idea that it's not just about the here and now, what it starts to do is it creates two things that are very dangerous in our lives that I see in our church, in the American church. And, and it's things we have to fight against. It's two attitudes. One is pessimism. The other is hedonism. Pessimism. I become pessimistic because I really believe that salvation in my life, I'm saved, that's good, but I'm relying on my life to get better and better and better because of the next government, the next economic change, the next climate initiative that we'll work through, and it's all gonna get better. It's gonna, and when it doesn't, it leads me to pessimism. Now, I could, I could be a, a believer in that and kind of be looking around going, I've been saved, this is good, and I shouldn't have any problems. I shouldn't experience any issues, but I want to tell you, that's not the gospel of hope. That's the gospel of prosperity. And the gospel of prosperity is not found in the scriptures. The gospel of prosperity says that you should have all the money that you ever needed. You should never have a financial reversal. If you do, you sin. Or your faith isn't big enough. You should just claim more. Find it in the scripture, folks. It's not there. Sounds great. I'd love to preach it. I wish it were true. Not. But it's not. Or we say, my health should always be great. And when my health isn't great, then that means that I've sinned or that I haven't attained all that God wants for me. But did you hear what he said? You were saved in hope and it's not hope that you can see. It's not gonna be just tangible stuff you can have. That's not salvation. Saved in hope for something in the future. It's not just the here and now. It's for something in the future. So when we get pessimistic about those kind of things, we really don't understand what salvation has meant for our lives. That it's hope now, but it's hope into something, hope in someone that he's going to do what he said and he's going to lead us from this place into glory where we'll finally be adopted as sons. Do you remember me teaching on this a couple of years ago? The adoption of sons is a very important thing. Ladies, I, I want you to hear this. Very important thing. When the scripture says that we'll be adopted as sons, it doesn't mean that you're excluded. It means that you're in, actually included in the inheritance. That's a beautiful thing. That's a beautiful thing. You, you're considered at the highest level of this culture when they were talking about this, the sons received the inheritance. Daughters, you don't. You remember when, when uh, they were going into the promised land, there was a family that petitioned. We don't have any, we don't have any brothers. We don't have anything. We, we want some land from our family. Can you do it? They made an exception to that. Here we have this adoption that we're waiting for. We're part of God's family. The body's been redeemed. No more warring against the flesh. But we can't be pessimistic about it. If you find yourself being pessimistic, you don't have hope. You don't know what it is. The second thing that I see us doing all the time 
is we live with an attitude of hedonism. I'm living for pleasure. I'm gonna buy more stuff. I'm gonna take more trips. I'm gonna experience all I can experience. I'm living for the next weekend. I'm living for the next vacation. I'm living for the next thing that I can accumulate because when I do, my life's just gonna be better and that will work out. But then when it doesn't work out, living for pleasure, what are we left with? Pleasures run out. I mean, after a while, how much stuff do you need to buy? How many trips do you need to take? Is that really the answer? No. Hope. When we live in hope, we understand that God is doing something, and he's even doing something in this tension. I want you to see verse 25. This is a great application verse for us. Now, if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. You need to underline, we eagerly wait. That's the clause there, and then it has a modifier, with patience. We eagerly wait for it with patience. I see Catherine sitting over here. Catherine's getting married soon, right? Cat, we are getting married soon, right? Yeah, do you know the date that you're getting married? Next Saturday. Catherine's getting married next Saturday. I bet if you stopped her afterwards, she knows what the floral arrangements are gonna be. She knows what the wedding dress is gonna look like. She knows what the groom will wear. She knows what kind of cake there will be. When somebody's getting married, they're eagerly waiting for that day with anticipation. What are they waiting for? They're waiting for the full expression of their love to come. They're waiting to build a home together. They're waiting to start a family together. Those two people become a family. They're waiting to, to build a life together, right? I mean, you know that day and you're waiting for it with anticipation. And so when he says we eagerly wait for it, that's what he's talking about. It's like a bride and a groom looking out and they can see it just over the horizon. Next month, next week, whenever it's gonna be, we're getting married, we're excited about that. We want you to be excited about it. We're gonna have a great time. We're so excited about this next chapter of our lives. They've had the date on the calendar. I've had a date on my calendar for over a year as well. Next week, I'm going to the doctor for my annual physical. I haven't posted about it on Facebook. I haven't told you to be happy for me or invited you to a shower for my physical. Because I really don't care. Right? I mean, it's just a date. It's just, just, it's just a date. I think a lot of us are living our Christian lives like we're going to the doctor, not like we're getting married. Do you see the difference? Both are on the calendar. Both are important, I mean, truthfully. But one, I, I go to, I don't invite you to come with me. We don't celebrate. I celebrate. Every, do you do this? If you... My doctor's listening, plug the ears, you know. When I get my annual physical, when I leave from there, you know you fasted and all that kind of thing, I go buy the nastiest food I can find. Do you do that? Do you just kind of go like, hey, I wonder what those chicken fries taste like at Burger King. Yes, we're gonna find out today. You know what I mean? You just, you just roll right through there and just load it up. It's, it's like a bad one time a year, right? I mean, you understand the difference. Do you see what we're talking about here? Do you see that one you're waiting with eager anticipation for, and one, it's on the calendar, you're gonna do it. It's like, yes, we will go through with this, it's fine. But the difference is massive. We eagerly wait for our adoption. 
When we're eagerly waiting, that means our eyes are fixed on something that's not just in the here and now. That's why you can't be pessimistic. That's why you can't be hedonistic. You can't get there. Your eyes have to be focused on something that's beyond just the here and now. And then he says, with patience. With patience. Do you ever find yourself getting impatient with the Lord? What are you doing? I'm so sick of living here. Would you just come back? I mean, come on. I'm tired of this. That's not patience. When you become impatient with the Lord, a couple of things happen that you you can only have with patience. With patience, you stay focused on the mission that God's given the church and you. With patience, you understand that his patience means that he's still got work left to do on this earth, that there are still going to be people that are saved, and it keeps you focused. I'm eagerly anticipating this day, but with patience means that I'm walking with kind of a duality of mind right there, right? I'm not just so heavenly minded, I'm no earthly good, but I'm certainly not so earthly minded that I'm no heavenly good. I'm walking with that duality. And I'm understanding that as I'm waiting to go to heaven, I'm excited about going to heaven, I want more to go with me. So there's a patience in waiting for God to do these things and understand that God's going to do it. It also lets me remain hopeful even when adverse situations come my way. The believer should not do as I find myself doing sometimes, scratching my head going, God, what are you doing? Why'd you allow this to come in my life? Do we think that because we were saved that we're exempt from adversity? If we believe that, we've not read the scriptures. Do we believe this morning that when difficult things come in our lives, they're not from God as well? He gives, he takes away. Right? I mean, we understand it in the context of hope. That what Christ did on the cross saved me into hope and is leading me towards a hope that will be eternal. And I'll realize it one day. I won't have to peer over the fence anymore and just catch a glimpse. It'll be mine. I think I could maybe sum it up with just this short kind of description. When you were a kid, did you ever make a Christmas wish list and you kind of hand that thing in? hoping that you're going to get some of those things. You know what I'm talking about? You, you, you maybe listed four or five things that you thought you wanted or maybe you had a much longer list, whatever it was, and you hand that thing in and you hoped that you would get it. That's exactly what we're not talking about. What we are talking about is when you as a parent go online and you order something and you pay for it and they send you a tracking number and say that it's in transit. You own it. You can look at it and see that it's coming. You know that the date is out there in the future. It's going to arrive at your house. You own that property. It's already yours. You have paid for it. It is yours. It just hasn't fully arrived yet. That's what hope means for the believer. Hope is I was saved. God gave it to me. It's mine, but God's saving me now. God's working now, and God's gonna keep saving me until he eventually gets me to that place. He saved me once and for all here, but it's not finished yet. It actually happens in its totality out here in the future, and he knows the day. He's got the tracking number. He knows when it's gonna happen. I'm eagerly waiting 
impatient. So what do we do? You read a story or you have an experience that brings up that tension. I find that most of the time what we want to do is run away from that. I don't like it. I don't want to feel that way. I don't want to cry in my closet reading a story about sports. I hate that. In fact, we should move towards it. Because that tension is reminding us that we were saved in hope. And hope is alive. We have a living hope. It's Jesus Christ. And he's coming back. And he's going to call us home. So much more than just, isn't this exciting? We put our nativity out and we got a manger. No, no, no. Don't get lost in being sentimental this year. Get excited about being saved in hope and living in hope and looking for the hope that is eternal. It's ours. We just haven't received it yet. Preach the gospel of hope. Don't preach the gospel of prosperity. Hey, come to Jesus and everything will be awesome. What if it's not? For a lot of believers around the world, coming to Jesus didn't make things awesome. It made it hard. Is it still worth it? Is that the real gospel? Or is the gospel come to Jesus and all your problems go away and you have plenty of money and your health will be great and he'll solve all your issues and, and whatnot? I don't know that coming to Jesus solves all your issues. It solves your main issue. The main issue is that you're dead in your trespasses and sins, destined for hell. And Jesus saves us and changes that in an instant. That's the issue of our lives. We still have issues, don't we? We still have setbacks. You still have days that are difficult. You still have loss. You still have sadness. You still have sorrow. You still live in pandemic. I mean, all those kind of things, but there's a gospel of hope. Because this that we see with our eyes is not all that there is there's something we can't see just yet, but one day our faith will be made sight. Be encouraged in hope. Be encouraged. For the believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're hopeless today, something is wrong. Something is missing. If you're constantly disappointed by this world and what you see, that's normal. That's how it should be. The hope that we have is that God is working all things together for good and one day he's calling us home and the scripture says that there's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus because we were saved in hope. We were bought with the blood of the lamb and that one day we will be saved fully adopted. Our bodies will be redeemed. We'll not struggle with sin anymore. All of those things will be gone and in that moment, we'll have it. So I never want to close a sermon like this without just taking one moment. Bear with me for just a moment. But I never preach like this where I don't believe that there's a great possibility that someone in here has never been saved into hope. And if you've never been saved into hope, I want to just tell you this morning that you can be saved because Jesus Christ is our living hope. And you say, well, I have some questions about that. I don't really know about that. When this service is over, I'm gonna sit right here on the edge of the stage. And I'd love for you just to come talk to me about that. I'd love just to spend a moment with you and, and tell you how you can know Jesus Christ because the Bible says that hope is alive. He's in heaven. 
He's our living hope. He's not just a story that elicits the emotion of hope. He is hope. And the Bible says that if you would repent of your sins and trust Jesus, place your faith in him, that God nailed him to a cross, placed our sin on him, that he was buried and that he rose after three days. The Bible says that you can be saved into hope. I love that song that Cindy and Avril sang. To all who would believe, he gave the right for them to be. It's your right. It's yours to be adopted into the family. It's yours to be saved into hope. And if you've never done that, if you're not certain of it, you need to be certain. See, I can take you back to a place. I know exactly where I was when the gospel finally clicked for me. I can take you to a little Brady Bunch looking house in Cleveland, Tennessee. First bedroom on the right as you walked up the stairs where my mother explained the gospel and it finally clicked. Saved into hope. It's a no-so thing. I know it. I'm not hoping about it like, oh, I hope I'm saved. I know I'm saved. I was saved into hope. A hope that's coming. And I haven't fully realized it yet, but I've got the down payment and the down payment's good. The Holy Spirit is great. I want you to know Jesus today. Church, I want you to live hopeful today. I want you to embrace the tension of this life and thank God for the hope that we have and to preach the gospel of hope this holiday season everywhere that you go. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. We thank you that Christ is our hope. And Father, we pray for the one who is here today who has never been saved into hope. I pray, Father, for them in this moment that the Holy Spirit would convict them of their sin. That they would feel that rising up in them even right now and know that something has to change. And they would trust you and be saved today into hope. Lord, for those of us who are believers who've run away from the tension, being pessimistic or just trying to live a life of pleasure, Would you forgive us? Open our eyes to the hope that is ours. Let it change us this year, Lord. Help us. Help us to know the hope that is ours. We eagerly wait for it. And while we wait, we'll be patiently focused on what you've called us to do and who we're called to be, the hope of the world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.